If I were to say something like uh, back in the 1990s, a lot of churches were involved in the worship wars. Or if I was to say something like, please uh, stand for worship like Daniel does or Andrew does each Sunday morning. Or if I was to tell you that in two weeks the ladies are going to have a worship night, you would think that the word worship equals what? What? Singing, music, right? And that is kind of uh, the vocabulary that we typically use. Uh, we talk about, uh, the, the worship team talks about a worship set, and we call them a worship team because they do uh, the music. But worship is much, much more than simply music or singing. More worship actually is said or done than is, act, than is sung. And I want to give you a definition this morning. It's not, you won't find it in any theological book, but it's my rough definition Worship is applauding God for who he is and what he's done through praises and thanksgiving that are sung, yes, but also prayed and done. We're going to talk one of these messages about obedience being an act of worship, Romans chapter, chapter 12. I might ask the question, why should anyone Worship, and we're not just talking about worshiping anything or anyone, but worship the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth. Why should anyone worship God? And that might that question might surface, especially when you're going through a really difficult season in your life. As a pastor, one of the things that I've come to realize is that most people go through hard times. In fact, it's interesting when I sit down with folks that are going through really difficult times, how uh, regularly they feel like it's just them. It's like God has singled them out for misery. Everybody else seems to be going along just swimmingly. And one of the things that I try to do as a, as a pastor is to help people understand, you have no idea. The smiles that you see plastered on our faces on a Sunday morning in most cases belie what's going on behind the scenes. It might be marriage problems. It might be a child that's kind of going off the rails. It might be financial problems. It might be a pending loss of a job. But in many people's lives, things just aren't going well. And one of the instinctive questions that we are inclined to ask when they're not going well is why should I serve God? After all, what has he ever done for me? And so hopefully these, these weeks will give us some foundation to answer questions like that. Today, the title of my message is to uh, kind of begin answer that question. We were made to worship. We were made to worship. Our text this morning is going to be Revelation chapter 4, the entire chapter. Before we uh, get to that, I want to... Have us turn to the Lord in worship and prayer. And so if you would bow your head with me. God, you are the Lord who created heavens and stretched them out. You created the earth and everything in it. You're the one that gives breath, breath. The one that we just took. Breath to all of us. You are the one who gives life to everyone who walks on planet earth. You say, I am the Lord, that is my name. You say that you will not give your glory to anyone else, that you will not share your praise with carved idols or idols of the heart. 
And during these weeks, oh God, we pray that you would instill in our hearts an increasing longing and passion to worship you, for you are indeed worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our thanksgiving. You are worthy of our obedience. And may these weeks drive that home in our hearts, seal our hearts in obedience and praise to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 4. Beginning of verse 1. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. Now this voice belonged to Jesus. We go back to Revelation 1 verse 10, and the voice is identified there. Jesus is speaking to the apostle John, who was uh, on the island of Patmos. He had been banished there by the Roman emperor. He says, the voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And so he, Jesus is about to tell John what is going to happen in the future. He takes two chapters here to get around to that. Verse 2, and instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. Now, John, this is not real life. This is not real time for John. This is uh, some kind of vision that Jesus is showing him, giving him insight into heaven. Verse 3, the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne there were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. And day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. And whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you please. Now, this is an open house in heaven. And Jesus has invited John and gives him a, a bit of a tour for these two chapters. And he starts with a throne. There's a throne in the center of heaven. It's not just located in the center. It is the centerpiece of heaven. And it's beautiful. The, the, the colors and the, the trappings of this place are just eye-stopping. There's an emerald rainbow that goes around the throne. And when I was younger, I used to think that this was a, a 
vertical throne, uh, circle, but I think it's a, it's a horizontal one goes around the throne this way. And we think of rainbows as, you know, pink and yellow and green, but this one glows like an emerald. So perhaps it's a rainbow of, of various uh, shades of green. And the one that is sitting on the throne, the brilliant color that he emits reminds John of colorful jewels. And from that throne come the sights and sounds of a violent storm, thunder, and lightning flashes. And in front of the throne are these seven torches which are perched on a clear glass floor. And those torches represent the sevenfold spirit of God. And then beyond those torches are these four living beings. They're not like any beings we have ever seen in, a, in some kind of biology book. They have six wings. They have eyes all over their bodies, all over their wings. They have different features, different faces, ox, lion, eagle, human being. And then beyond them, there are 24 thrones on which 24 elders seat. Now these these four living beings, we don't know what they are. They appear in the book of Ezekiel. You can see them there. Uh, they, it looks like they're the same beings that appear to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 as well. They're probably some kind of seraphim, angelic beings, and they're just always worshiping, always worshiping, always worshiping. The elders that are behind them on these other 24 thrones, we don't know who they are. Uh, probably not angels. Elders uh, are... Angels are never addressed as elders in the Bible anywhere. And they perhaps represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. We don't know that. But they represent followers of God, servants of God, human ones. The other thing that's telling about them is that they wear crowns. And again, we don't see crowns given to angelic beings in the scripture. And Jesus is not only trying to show John around heaven here. He's not just trying to show him uh, the open house. He's trying to show him in these beings, in these 24 elders, heaven's open heart. Because those who are present continually worship God. Verse 8 says, they keep on, they keep on saying day after day, night after night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and is still to come. There is this constant, constant, constant worship. Now, when I uh, got married, I was a very young man. man. You guys know this story. I have had no clue what I was doing. The fact that I'm still married to this wonderful woman is solely the grace of God. If you don't believe in the grace of God, talk to me about my marriage. I have no business still being married to this woman. I didn't treat her well. I didn't love her well. And probably the first decade that I was married, I had no clue what love was. And I came to find out that I had no clue what love was. And I began to pray to God that he would teach me, that he would help me love my wife as I should. And to this day, God has poured that out in my life so that uh, I can't, I can't, when I'm away from her, I just long to be with her. When she's away and uh, for a couple days, I can't wait till she comes back. I can't wait to go home from the office to see her. And when I'm at home, I'm always coming up and bothering her. I put my arms around her and I say, do you want to sit over here instead of over there for watching TV? And, and I, and this is, 
Nobody has to tell me to love her. I do. My heart is filled with delight in her presence, being with her, uh, being close to her, hearing her, talking back and forth, whether we're sitting uh, watching television or playing games or we're out on a date or something. I love to be with her. I look forward to it. And nobody has to prod me to delight in her. And I wonder if that's true with us, with the one who has made us. And the one who has loved us with an everlasting love and the one who has delivered us from sin and wrath and judgment and given us hope and a future. These beings, these elders, nobody has to prod them to worship and bow down and give praise to the one that is before there. It's instinctive. He is, why? Verse 11, he is Worthy, you are worthy, our Lord and our God. The word worship comes from worthship, that God is worth being made much of. He is worth being praised. He's worth being thanked. He's worth being obeyed. In fact, he's the, he's the only one in the universe who is worth this adoration. And these living beings are giving God glory and honor and thanks. They're making much of God. They're saying great things about God. They're saying honoring things about him. They're saying words of thanks for the things that they've, he has done for them. This, this is worship. Now it's about this time that we start to wrestle with the question though, what about when God hasn't given me the life that I've hoped for? What about when God's taken that spouse from me? What about when God's taken my health from me? What about when my child has not spoken to me for three years? Or what about when my daughter is hooked on heroin and I can't seem to do anything to bring her back? What about when I've got the pink slip and I've only got one more week of work? And I don't know what I'm going to do then. What about all these things, God? Are you serious? You want me to worship you? It's interesting. These elders fall down and worship. There doesn't seem to be any hesitation on their part. They're not asking. If these, if these are human beings, they're not they're not laying out their reservations, but God, you didn't do this, but God, you didn't do that. And if indeed this is a picture in the future in heaven, and I think it is taking place now, but a picture that we'll see one day. If these are human beings, these are ones who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Even the Old Testament saints, ultimately, as the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to their sins, according to Romans chapter 3. And so the, they, 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 all the past and the problems have been put behind them. And they've left this earth a, a, along with its sin and its frustration and its disappointment and its shame. And now they see God for who he truly is and, and what he's worthy of. 
and perhaps even sees why he did the things that he did on planet Earth, and they're instinctively praising him and worshiping him and making much of him. It's interesting, some of the things that we see in our lives that disappoint us, that we're like, why, God, why has this happened to me? In, in the midst of the disappointments, all of the blessings that God has poured out upon us get eclipsed. Whereas a lot of, a lot of the world is going to scramble today for food just for one meal, let alone three. We enjoy a bounty. Whereas many people in this world are trying to find a place to live, put together some cardboard scraps and some tin and protect themselves from the elements. We have apartments and homes, sound homes, luxurious homes. We have doctors. Some people, they don't have access to medical care unless they're going to walk for two days. We have doctors that we just call them up and they'll work us in. We go to the ER. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? So many things that God has said yes to us about. But we can't see them because we're preoccupied with the things he said no about. Is he worthy of your praise and your thanksgiving? Even when some of what he's allowed disappoints. Is he worthy? That's the question that worship is all about. It's interesting, these elders, they fall down at the feet of God. The word, one of the main words for worship is proskuneo, where you are bowing down, you're on your face before God. And not only are they on their face before God, they take off their crowns that God has given them. You know, the Bible talks about crowns. I don't know if they're, whether the symbols or actual crowns are going to be given. Crown of glory, crown of life, crown of righteousness. But there's an acknowledgement, I'm not worthy of this crown. I'm going to take it off and I'll put it before you, God. You are worthy. I am not. Now this is a picture that we'll see one day in heaven if we know Christ. And I think part of the reason that Jesus showed it to John is because that, that is his desire for our hearts. The hearts of these beings in heaven are open to God. They're, they're bringing forth, spewing forth praise and adoration and worship. And Jesus says this is way this is the way it should be on earth as well. Remember the Lord's Prayer? That we would pray, Matthew 6.10, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your praises would be lifted up on earth as they are in heaven. Your worship be rising to you on earth as it is in heaven. Because this is what you were made for worship is what we were made for look at Isaiah chapter 45 verse 23 <clears throat> Isaiah 45 verse 23 God says in the middle of that verse he says every knee will bend to me and every tongue 
will declare allegiance to me. Sooner or later, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to me. Isaiah 42, verse 7. That doesn't sound right. 43, verse 7. God says, bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for what? My glory. You were made for the glory of God. You were made not just to have a self-satisfied life and to enjoy everything that you see that your neighbors enjoy. You were made for the glory of God. And in some cases, God has made people blind. You remember that? John chapter 6, or John chapter 9. What? The disciples look at this man who'd been blind all his life. And their conclusion was, he must have sinned. I don't know how you do that before you're born. He must have sinned or his parents sinned. Jesus, which was it? Him or his parents? Neither, Jesus says. But he was made this way so that God might be glorified. And then Jesus proceeded to heal him so that God might be glorified. And we think, man, that sounds cruel. That sounds awful. We were made, we were made first and foremost for the glory of God. Not to see how restful and wonderful and peaceful and prosperous a life we can enjoy. Praise God, he gives us many of those things, doesn't he? But that's not what we're here for. We're here for the glory of God. And that's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, so whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, or go to work, or go to school, or play on the soccer team, or play on the basketball team, or go to college, or be a stay-at-home mom, whether you give birth, or you foster kids, or you adopt kids, or you get a new job that you love, or you lose a job that you want, and you don't know how you're gonna make ends meet. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. For that is why he made us. That's why he made you. And that's why he made me. He made us to be worshipers. Now that raises the question, is God prideful, egotistical, and thus a sinner? Now if I were to say, I want you to worship me this morning, and I would ask you to bow down before me and sing songs of praise to me, that would be prideful, that would be egotistical, that would be sinful. But after all, the one who made us, the one who has never been defiled by any sin ever in his life, the one who is and was and is to come, the one who pours out grace upon us, the one who has saved us by the blood of his son, he is worthy, right? Back to worth. He is worthy of our praise. So when you or I would seek that from someone, it would be prideful and sinful, but there is no comparison in the universe to God, the one who is worth it all. And you know what's interesting? Everyone worships, even your non-Christian friends and neighbors. 
We all worship. The only question is, who or what do we worship? Even the most irreligious worship. Back in 2005, there was a small liberal arts college in Ohio that was looking for a commencement speaker for their graduation. Actually, it was 2004. And the committee that was trying to select the uh, speaker had considered Senator Hillary Clinton. They had considered Senator John Glenn. Uh, but there was a writer, a relatively unknown writer, that was a favorite of a couple of the, the uh, women on the committee. And so they won the day. And this young writer, he was only 43, David Foster Wallace, was invited to come and make the, give the commencement speech. Now Wallace uh, initially turned down the assignment. He said, I'm too young. You should have somebody older and wiser than me. And they persisted and he finally agreed to come and speak. And Wallace had an interesting religious background. He had actually applied and tried to become a member of the Catholic Church on two different occasions. He flunked both times. Uh, he actually attended a Mennonite church along the way for a while. But by this time probably would have been considered an agnostic. He wasn't really sure about his spiritual direction or interest. But he was interested in spirituality. And this is what he told the graduates that year. He said, you get to decide what to worship. Because there's something else that is weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Pretty much anything else, and I've skipped a section here, he was talking about spirituality, different religions, different ways to approach God or gods. He said, pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve over you. You worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Jesus makes an interesting comment about money in Luke 16, 13, but he could have said it about anything. He said, you cannot serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He could have said, you cannot serve God and education. He could have said, you cannot serve God and career. He could have even said, you cannot serve your family and God. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't work, and that doesn't mean that you don't love your family and care for them. But it's a matter of priorities. Who's at the top of the pile? Who's the most important? What's the most important? Everyone worships either God or self. Money is simply another aspect of self. Education is simply another aspect of worshiping self. People's approval is simply another aspect of worshiping self. 
Beauty, just another aspect of worshiping self. Fashion, we could go on and on and on. Everybody worships either God or self. So if God desires that what happens in heaven would happen on earth, this picture, holy, 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 worthy are you, O God, to receive glory, honor, and power. If that's what God desires here on earth, how do we know if we are on a worshipful trajectory? And I want to talk to us as individuals, not only as people who gather on a Sunday morning to sing praise songs to God, to worship God together. We're going to spend a Sunday talking about developing personal, private worship. But as an individual, how can you tell that you're on a, a worship trajectory? Because none of us get this perfect in this life. We'll always be on the way. But are we on the way? And are we, are we moving in a, a, a healthy, good direction? And I have a couple questions I just for you to ask yourself this morning. Starting with main, the, this overarching question. What is your engine? What is your engine? What is it that drives you? Is it, is it getting a lot of money that drives you? Is it getting people's approval that drives you? Is it uh, having, you know, kids that perform perfectly that drives you? What is it that drives you? What's your engine? And here's a couple of qualifying questions or perhaps directing questions for that. First of all, I could probably tell most about you in this regard by how you start your day. And you could probably tell most about me by how I start my day. Do you start your day with the Lord? Do you start your day for the Lord? Or is it with you and for you? How do you start your day? Secondly, who do you think your life is for? Do you think it's mostly for you? Do you think it's mostly for your family? Do you think it's mostly for your boss? Do you think it's mostly for your coach? Or do you believe that God indeed made you for his glory and that your life's first and foremost for him? Third, how do you spend your money? How do you spend your money? I don't mean, um, and we're not talking about amounts of tithing and giving money, but if I go to a restaurant and you serve me, unless you really, really mess things up, you're going to get a 20% tip from me every time. But if you do a really good job, it's going to go higher. I love to give big tips. You have to really do a good job, though, to get a big one. But I do it because I want to. Nobody's twisting my arm. The manager's not coming out and saying, I won't serve you the next time unless you give me a really, really big tip, unless you give her a really big tip. I give a big tip because I, I want to. How do you spend your money? Does it reflect that you love what Christ has done for you and you love that God created you in his image and he, you love the blessings that he gives you? Does how you spend your money reflect that? And a similar question, how do you spend your time? <clears throat> how do you spend your time? And the next question, how, what factors decide what you will believe and what you do? What you dedicate yourself to and what you avoid? These are all big discipleship questions. 
How, how do I decide what I do? How do I decide what I don't do? How do I decide what I believe? How do I decide what I dedicate myself to in life? How do I decide what it is that I avoid? <clears throat> and this last question takes us back to singing. If you were here back in April, I think it's 14th, something like that, Pastor Charlie spoke about corporate worship. And he really challenged us to, when we worship, to worship with freedom and not be thinking about what does the person next to me or in front or behind me think. But, but what is God who is worthy of my praise? What does he think? And, and to be free, to be more expressive. And what is it like when you sing? And I know some of you, because some of you tell me this, like, I don't like to sing. And I, I, I'm a quasi-musician. I don't get that, um, but I get it. You know, it's, 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 like, it's like going bowling, and you hate bowling. But when you look at Scripture, music has always been part of the praises of God's people. In, the, in ancient Israel, they had massive choirs that would lead music and worship. They had bands that would lead music and worship. They had people assigned for these roles. It wasn't like you got recruited if you were the best. No, these certain people were, were called out and you, ha you had to lead in worship because God was worthy of it. And so you might say, I don't really like to worship. The Bible says if you don't like to, if you don't like to sing, make a joyful what? Yeah. And some of you are good at that. Indulge in that because your praise is not for the person in front of you so that they don't hold your, their ears. Your praise is for the God of heaven who is worthy of all of your praise. And you should lift your voice when we sing these majestic songs because we're not just singing for each other. We're singing for the King of heaven who sits on the throne and is worthy of it all. And I want you to cut loose. We're going to sing a last song here in just a minute. Worship team's going to come up. And we're going to sing that wonderful song about the picture of worship in Book of Revelation. And I want you to just lift the rafters. I, don't, I want you to pretend you're the only person in the auditorium. There's nobody behind you or in front of you or next to you. Uh, there's, there's nobody here who's more qualified to sing than you are. I want you to imagine there's only a throne. There's just a throne here in front of you. And, and you're the only one, the only one that God has called to, to lift praises to him this morning. You're all by yourself. And God is there on his throne waiting expectantly for you to raise a voice in his favor because he is worthy. So you want to stand to your feet and let's give God the praise and the worship that is due his name.